0: You know, you're never going to accomplish your goals or dreams, whatever those are, if you don't first press start, if you don't get up and start moving.
1: Welcome to Star of the Doubt. I'm your host, Jared Easley, and joining us from Maui, Hawaii, aloha. Come on, t Constable. Hey, Jared, aloha. It's good to be here. Man, it is good to be here. Dude, I'm excited today, Kamanzi, because the person that we have as our guest today is no stranger to Starve the Doubts. He was on back in the day, back in the day. And what he's doing now is not what he was doing then. So this is exciting to kind of hear about the progress that's been made since he uh,
2: stopped wasting his time on Starve the Doubts. Can I, <laughs> <And> actually, <laughs> can I be honest, Jared? I, <laughs> yeah, didn't, um, I didn't listen to Starve the Doubts back in the day.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of people did it. Well, hey,
2: I have gone back and I have caught up. I've heard a lot, a lot of episodes.
1: Well, if you were to go back to certain episodes, like, for example, we'll think of one, Marshall Goldsmith, right? That's one, I can name a dozen, but there's several episodes where I had a co-host, and this is when I was first starting co-host on Star of the Doubts, and truthfully, Comanza, you're the official host, co-host now. But back then, I didn't have that. And the first person that really tested co hosting with me was this guest today. It's John Harrison. So, uh, John Harrison is over at classicallytrained.net, where he teaches leadership lessons from video games. He is a TEDx speaker, which is amazing. He's been featured on Fast Company and Lifehacker. He's a husband, he's a father, and he's an author. You're going to like this, Kamanzi. He just wrote his new book, and it's released Mastering the Game what video games can teach us about success in life. John, welcome back to Star of the Doubts.
0: It is a ridiculously great pleasure to be back. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Man, likewise, my friend. So, John, nothing's changed in the sense of the first question. You already know this is coming. What is the best (laughs) concert that you have ever been to?
0: I've been preparing for this question my whole life. Uh, Well, as long (laughs) as I've known you anyways. So the answer to that, it occurred back in 2007. It is a Japanese hard rock band by the name Deer in Gray. It's three words. And I've been following them. Not many people know this about me. I'm a, a big Japanese rock fan. And uh, I actually had a chance to win an opportunity to go backstage and hang out with the band. They spoke no English. I spoke five words of Japanese. It was awesome. And uh, I got a chance to, to meet some guys that are huge in Japan and kind of unknowns here. So it was, it was an incredible concert for me. Energy was off the wall. And, you know, that just is kind of like a dream come true.
2: I don't know what John does for a living, but I picture him in like an office somewhere, a high rise office in Florida. He's got this nice big office. He's sitting there at his desk and he's jamming out to Japanese rock. (laughs) I think that's pretty close to the truth.
0: That is. uh, (laughs) It is. It's not that high rise, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, John, just like your dreams came true going to see that concert, someone in this call is going to a concert in Cleveland, Ohio. Is that true? Still legit? Come on, Z.
2: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be the episode, but I guess not. Yes, it is true. Jared and John, I will be heading to see Taylor Swift in Cleveland <laughs> with former guest Travis Scott, who is just on the show, and yep. our friend Mike Alder. So us three guys are going to hang out and jam to Taylor Swift.
1: Now, John, we we don't judge on Star of the Doubts, but I mean, that's three guys going to see Taylor Swift. Let's hear your thoughts on that.
0: Well, <laughs> let's just say I don't imagine Taylor Swift opening up for the uh, Japanese hard rock group that I follow. So I'm not really sure where to go with that. I, yeah, I'm not even going to comment.
2: Would, John, would it make it better if, like, because Mike has some daughters, would it make it better if he brought his daughters? Would that make it more legit? I
0: Maybe. think that's yeah. kind of like an obvious subterfuge, to be honest. It, it's too easy to go there. So. We all know who's going to be wearing the T-shirt.
1: <laughs> well, John, we've never had the word subterfuge
2: on Star of the Doubt, ah. so that's a first. Ooh. <laughs> so, John, obviously there's a history between you and Jared. I know you both live in Florida, but it goes deeper than that. Tell Star of the Doubt how you and Jared got connected.
0: I'd love to. This is, you know, there are sometimes there are these stories that happen in your life that you just kind of say, I always remember this day. And this is one of them for me. Both Jared and I had absolutely no clue of each other's existence in spite of the fact we live in South Florida, which is just so weird. But we both had a mutual interest in seeing a certain speaker who was coming locally. We found out that leadership expert and blogger, podcaster, Michael Hyatt was going to be speaking as part of a local conference. Now, this conference was closed to the public. It was actually, I think it was a finance technology company. And they had this three-day event. And for some reason, we caught wind independently, each on our own, that uh, he would be speaking nearby where we live. And again, independent, didn't know each other, doing our own thing. Both reached out to the contact and said, hey, I'd really be interested in hearing this one speaker. I'm not interested in, you know attending a $5,000 seminar that is unrelated to my field. Could I just come for that one spot? And uh, the contact said yes. And so we, we both ended up there at uh, an opportunity to hear Michael Hyatt speak, had a chance to meet him before and after the show. But in some ways, as weird as this sounds, more importantly, we had a chance to meet each other. And I remember Jared actually called me out. He had heard that there was another guy who had done the same thing and I guess I stood out in the crowd. I didn't look like I fit in with the finance group. And he's, hey, are you the guy? And i was like, the guy, uh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Uh, what guy is that? <laughs> and and uh, we kind of hit it off and have been, you know, in contact ever since.
2: Jared called me out about the concert, right? Let me call both of you guys out. Were you guys chasing influencers? <laughs>
1: well, but you got to remember back then, I mean, Michael Hyatt, dude, everybody was reading Michael Hyatt. Everybody's listening yeah, to Michael Hyatt. True. Not that they're not anymore, but uh, yeah, man. I mean, Michael Hyatt had a m- tremendous impact and influence on me and it sounds like you too and, and definitely John. So yeah, definitely. Uh, he was in our backyard back in, I mean, that was the same year. If you think about it, that was the same year that your guest post went live on michaelhyatt.com and you've been very public about what impact that had on you for your business and what you were doing.
2: Oh yeah, I'm a, a Michael Hyatt fan through and through. So Jared, what was your first reaction when you saw John?
1: Um well, again, yeah, like John pointed out, I mean, he he didn't look the part, and I didn't either. Not well, I think John looked more the part than I did, let <laughs> the record show. And John, I never, I don't know that we've talked about this, but I had to pay. To attend that, did you yeah. have to pay? I, I did. Okay. We never, we never confirmed that
0: dollar amount, but <laughs> we both agreed it was in a certain range, and I think we'll leave it there.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they made me pay to cover portions of his honorarium, yeah. but which I was glad to do. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, and and I look back and I think, man, that was the smartest money I ever spent. Not just because I got a chance to see and hear Michael Hyatt, but as you know, I made a tremendous friend through you, John. So I, you know, I don't want to park on that story, this whole conversation, but that moment has kind of put both of us in a unique trail <laughs> since then, if you think about it. So it's a nice lead into what we're talking about, because when you and I first met, you were blogging, and you were blogging like a madman. You were writing, and your your articles were fantastic, but there just wasn't a ton of traction, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't a tremendous spike in growth. And then all of a sudden, you told me one day, I'm going to do this thing called Classically Trained. So for people who have no idea what that is, let's talk about what inspired Classically Trained.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was really kind of an interesting pivot. At that time, you know, there was this wave of influence you saw through Michael Hyatt and several others who had really been blogging. And there were a lot of individuals jumping on this bandwagon, this idea of, you know, writing about leadership and writing about influence and writing about it, not just from the expert's perspective, but... From those who are in the trenches living it, you know. For my day job, I teach leadership development. I actually teach other directors and and, and individuals how to be effective in the workplace. So it's something I already had a, a high degree of familiarity for because of what I do. So it came naturally to me, but I wasn't really making the impact. So I had one of those meetings with myself that at some point we all kind of do. We sit down at our dining room table or whatever our favorite spot is, and We began to wonder, you know, take an inventory of our own life and say, So, what is my contribution? What is it that I can offer that's unique, that's a little different, that's me? And so I looked at the resume, I I looked at all the work stuff, and then I said, You know, I I don't want to miss something. Let me step back. And I realized I had a little hobby on the side for the past 30 years, and that was playing video games. And I said, What if these two mixed? What if these two would match? Is there a way to connect the two? And the first thing I did. Is I had that moment of panic where, like, I better check and see if someone else is doing this. This is too good not to be done. Someone has to be teaching leadership lessons using video games. And I couldn't seem to find any substantial results. There were a lot of, you know, listicles out there, like the five things I learned from video games, and they were pretty shallow, you know. They were more like, you know, the 18 things I learned from kindergarten about life, they they didn't really go deep. And I saw my chance to really dive in and talk about two things I knew really well and enjoyed. And then it just so happened that classicallytrained.net was available. The, the original intent was that it'd be classic video games. So I grew up during, you know, the golden era of the 80s and 90s. And, and since then, I've kind of broadened my scope because, you know what, I don't want to discriminate against games that are newer just because they're newer. So uh, <laughs> and here I am.
2: So, John, let's do a little blank versus blank because you hit on something. And this is going to be hard for me to hear because I'm torn with this now. Blogging versus podcasting.
0: Mm. As someone who does both, I am still going to side with blogging.
1: Boom! <laughs> Jared? Yeah. Is that anyway. the wrong
0: thing to say in a podcast interview? I, you know, I, don't, I don't
1: know that it is. <laughs> I, I think that you're an excellent writer, and I think you just gave everyone reason not to listen to your podcast. But <laughs> well, well, here's no, what I'll kidding. say.
0: When comparing my podcast to experts like the great Jared Easley, uh, <laughs> you can see why I prefer blogging. There's a lot of talented people, and I think that it takes a very special person to be able to to swing the podcast. But for me, my sweet spot is definitely on
2: the blog. So I'm going to go with John here. For me personally, I think most Star Wars Adults listeners know that I'm a writer first, but I do got to say, being here with Jared and then doing my own little audio blog, I'm really digging the audio, and especially since Jared sent me this mic, I've become a little bit of a fan of podcasting. Hmm.
1: And uh, coming soon, come on. Z, uh, you mentioned the audio blog. That's going to be in iTunes. So stay tuned for people who are interested in that. But let's go back here to John. So, John, you recently released your book. And this is a big thing for you. I know you've put a lot of time and energy into this. You wrote the book Mastering the Game What Video Games Can Teach Us About Success in Life. Mm-hmm. So, what was the book writing process like?
0: Oh, that was an absolute mess. Uh, I always knew I wanted to write a book. I thought it was probably 20 years down the road. I thought that I needed more life experience or stories to share, and I realized that that wasn't the case. Through blogging, I began to realize that I did have stories and had an opportunity to kind of flesh them out and dive a bit deeper. So to be honest, the way my book came about is a lot of blogging, a lot of reflecting a lot of filling in gaps, and then kind of looking for a unifying theme. There is one thing, though. Let me say this. I had an opportunity to, let's say, curate some amazing exclusive content for my book. You know, you mentioned the interview that we did with uh, Marshall Goldsmith. And I started thinking about, with my own podcast, I had a chance to interview leadership experts like Simon Sinek, but I also interviewed video game industry individuals like David Hayter, who's the voice of Solid Snake, and uh, Kelly Santiago, who is one of the leads over at the uh, Ouya console and part of that game company. So I had a chance to really ask them anything I wanted to. And as I did so, I realized that some of their answers were amazing. And I was generating with them some exclusive content that really is an important part of the book. So when I look back, it's really an amalgamation of the gaming experience, of the interviews that I did through podcasting, and also my own blogging experience, combined with an incredibly heavy amount of editing, both self-editing and hired help to get me to a final product. So uh, that's the journey. It was a
2: big mess. Wow. Jared, he had some smart words in there. He's dropping smart words on this episode.
1: <laughs> I know, man. We're going to need a thesaurus, but
2: that's okay. <laughs> John, true or false, still staying on the topic of the book. The yeah. ideas in your book remain true independent of context, culture, or time period.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the beautiful thing about principles. I tried to teach in principles, and that's when I hit on this idea that video games could be used to teach them because I started noticing patterns within video games, the habits you need to develop and practice within a game are the same sort of ideas we need to practice in the workplace or as an entrepreneur or as a leader of really any kind. So it occurred to me that these transcend the media in which they appear. So if it's a movie, if it's a book, and yes, even video games, if it's in these categories, we can learn and then we can apply in different contexts. So Absolutely. These ideas, even if you're not a gamer, they hold true.
1: So, John, we're going to dive into some of these ideas because I think this is gold. I'm going to mention a habit. And if you're willing, just expand on that that principle. So the first one is adaptability, managing change. Mm.
0: Yeah. You see, this is an important skill for anyone in today's modern workplace. The environments around us, they change really fast. Even when we look at a lot of disruptive technology like, well, podcasting is really becoming that these different formats that shake up what we understood the way things were. If you look at the traditional brick and mortar bookstores, they had to adapt to some very profound changes with the advent of the different ebooks and Kindle and how that shook up that market. And those who didn't adapt were failing miserably. And this is one of the skills I see us practicing in video games is having to adapt to whether it's in one game where level changes or a new challenge approaches, or even from one game to the next, you need to learn new ways of handling the change. That's really, I mean, it sounds so trite, you know, change is the new normal, but it really is. I mean, all of us are dealing with change, whether it's a software update to our favorite program moments before logging onto a podcast, or it's something that we took for granted, like our commute or the road we use, we need to learn how to navigate that change.
2: So next word is personal accountability.
0: (laughs) Shout out to uh, my friend John G. Miller here, author of QBQ. He is the guru with personal accountability, and he's only given me a taste. But personal accountability is, is really the hinge that anyone who wants to lead any difference in this world needs to get their head around. You know, we build statues for people that step up and face adversity. We don't remember the people who blame their environment or blame their situation, but we remember the people that said, you know what, that may be reality, but what can I do to change it? And then they act on that idea.
1: John, how are video games
0: teaching these? You know, that's the funny thing, that we do this all day long in a video game. Whenever we find a challenge, whether it's a hidden item, some sort of treasure chest we want to unlock or some special feature we want to reach, we'll see a cave up in the distance on the mountaintop. And we ask ourselves you know, this powerful question, what can I do to get there? How can I make that item mine? Or how can I find a path to get up there? And that's a disguised version of personal accountability. The problem is a lot of us don't connect the dots, right? So we show up to our workplace and we say, well, when is someone going to notice and promote me? when am I going to be offered a better opportunity or when will someone recruit me out of my current job? And that's really, it's funny, we're missing out on practicing the skills that's most important in the place we should be using them the most. And instead we're using them in our entertainment and we just have to connect Mm. the dots and make that transfer.
1: All right. So let's talk about innovation.
0: Sure. You know, innovation is (laughs) overrated, first of all, because in (laughs) some ways we've heard there's nothing new under the sun. And to a certain extent, this is true. But innovation, I think, is best understood at being our very best. It's knowing who we are. And when I think about innovation, I think that a very innovative moment for me was when I realized, hey, I can make this video game thing work. You know, video games are full of innovation. They're always trying out new mechanics, new ways to tell a story. In fact, video game itself is a very innovative medium because it's audio, it's visual, it's dialogue, there's reading. And more importantly, there's participation. And that's something that that had been missing in books or movies or other forms of entertainment. You know, you go to a sports game, you cheer, but you're not out there playing. You're just you're on the sidelines with video games. You're involved. So innovation has always been part of the video game experience. But more than innovating, it's about using what we have in a way we haven't used it before. And I think that's what we can learn from games. And that's what I've seen in my own journey.
2: Communication and listening.
0: Don't do either of them. Wait, (laughs) hold on. (laughs) Those are the skills that our workplaces hinge on. Our relationships hinge on these. And communication and listening are something that I think are important to address as two separate topics because oftentimes we communicate with others. And when I say communicate, I mean we talk or we send them a message or we send out information and we call that communication when the truth is powerful and effective communication is a two-way dialogue. It's something that we both participate in. And I think Stephen Covey is the one that said it best with the, the very classic approach of, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And communication and listening, surprisingly, is something we do all the time in video games. There's important information that's given to us. If you remember some of the the early 80s and, and even into the 90s, there were a lot of video games that gave you very little information to work with. I mean, they said, OK, you know, I need you to find the man who has the lantern. And so there's like 50,000 men out there. Like, how do you find this guy? So you really had to practice the skill of paying attention to some of the subtle nuances and asking yourself, what does that mean? And "And how do I apply what I just heard? And how do I interpret it? So two vital skills, again, that
1: we see both not in the workplace, but also in our hobbies. So, John, how do video games teach team building and collaboration?
0: Well, if you have anyone you know, yourself, or even if you have a nephew, a niece, a son, a daughter, uh, you know anyone who's in their young teens right now, chances are they play online games. And this is something that happens a lot. There's a lot of time spent there. There's a lot of debate about the healthiness of the time. And I'm not going to get into that because that's back to accountability. But the team building, the collaboration piece is all about working together to achieve a goal. And this is something that I know workplaces would kill for the opportunity to have this sort of collaboration in their workplace that we see within video games. When you think about it, you're bringing 10, 15 strangers together with a unified goal, and they're all working together to achieve this, and in some cases more. But if you're playing like a Call of Duty type game, you're You're working as a team and you're fighting another team and and you have some very clear goals and everyone's working together to that shared outcome. And and that goes kind of back to the communication piece where video games are really good at communicating key facts and being very clear about them. And in our workplaces, the way we drive better collaboration, the way we build better teams is through having that sense of clarity, through really addressing not only why we're doing what we're doing, but where you fit in. You know, tell me what's my role. You know, in a lot of video games, there are different classes of characters, whether it's, you know, like a role playing element, fantasy element. There's both the soldier types, but there's also kinds who are there to heal or provide support. And when you have that clarity, it makes it really easy to do your job. But if you show up at work and you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing, it's really hard to know if you're doing it.
2: What about knowledge sharing?
0: Yeah, that's another really good one. Video games, even going back to, you know, I remember in the. In the early 90s, when AOL (laughs) started coming out. Anyone remember AOL? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So when AOL came out, there were a lot of message boards out there, a lot of chat rooms that were into sharing these different secrets to solving challenges within video games. And even if you look today, there's game FAQs, frequently asked questions. There's a whole site dedicated to it where people volunteer their time and write up hundreds of not thousands of pages of information about how to win and be more successful at the latest games, but also games going back to the the very earliest kinds, you know, strategies and guides. And, and so there's this natural sharing of knowledge that happens when you're passionate about something or when you gain some expertise. And we have within our workplaces individuals who are truly passionate about what they do But we don't always encourage them to share that information or we don't even think about it sometimes until it's too late. And that's usually when they've given their two week notice or they're about to retire. And that's really too late to be sharing the knowledge. So part of the things we can do within our organizations and as leaders is to encourage people to share what they know. And that can be in your home with your own family. It can be with your friends, if your loved ones, not just the workplace.
1: All right, John, we only got a couple more of these principles, but I think they're key. So let's talk persistence.
0: Yeah, persistence is so good. In fact, that takes us back to our first story where you and I met, Jared. Having a measure of persistence of reaching out to someone and sticking with it and emailing and following up and checking on saying, "Okay, is it there yet? And there's a difference here. We have to make a distinction. There's a difference between nagging and being an annoying factor and uh, that measure of persistence but persistence is a principle that is highly correlated with success when you think about all the skills that the greats have whether it's in sports whether it's in politics whether it's in cinema whether it's in the music industry you see individuals who don't give up you see individuals who are willing to put in the extra work to put in the extra time to keep going in spite of whatever obstacles are faced i mean the amount of times you know kamaji you could probably speak to this one the amount of times person typically hears no when they try to go forward with publishing a book with a traditional publisher. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous.
2: Did you try to go down that route, John?
0: I didn't because I, I don't stomach no very well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I knew
0: that there would probably be a few dozen of them before I hit on something. There was this really great class I took, though, that talked a lot about self-publishing that, you know, free shout out here for Kamanzi It just happens to be that that I had a chance to learn from him some of the knowledge about that. And I can tell you that persistence is needed whether you publish with a traditional publisher or on your own. So really it comes down to whatever you do in life. You got to learn how to stick with it. Doesn't matter what your talent is. You're going to have to persist.
2: And so the last word here kind of goes along with what we've been talking about, but the last word is grit.
0: Yeah. Grit's one of those words that, have you you seen that movie, uh, True Grit?
2: I haven't. I have not.
0: Okay, me neither. So that makes 3 of us, but it's in the title. And I was hoping you could fill me in on that. But grit is this idea, it's kind of like a hyped-up version of persistence in a way. It's facing those sort of obstacles, especially when you think about as a student or as a young person and kind of in your formative years, grit is that grabbing a hold of something, tagging on to some sort of internal passion or drive that you have. You know, really getting clear on your own purpose or or why you're doing something and sticking with it, grabbing on, not letting go. And this is something that is just absolutely really been correlated with success in all realms. There's a great TED Talk by Angela Lee Duckworth on the matter of grit. I think the talk's all of maybe seven minutes long, and she just lays out some fascinating statistics around how important this is, and how do you teach this, and how do you draw this out? And especially if if you're a parent like I am, You know, you want to raise children that have this quality of grit and being able to dig in there and stick with it because you know what? It's tough. It doesn't matter what you do. It's hard. You got to have that grit and resilience to stick with it.
1: John, I grew up in the South and I was hoping you were going to talk about the breakfast food. (laughs) Those are grits. There's an S. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I am a fan of those. (laughs) Me too. All right. So, John, this is a miracle. One of your goals, because we talked about this for months, one of your goals was to be a TEDx speaker. Yes. And then all of a sudden, I get this message from you like, Hey, I'm gonna be speaking at TEDx Boca. (laughs) And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) How did we go from hey, I want to do this to, you know, not even a couple months later, like I'm doing it? And like it seems like that's a hard process, but you just slipped right in. So John, there's gotta be a story there.
0: There's a lot of a story there. And I want to talk more about the timing of it than necessarily how it happened, because I believe everything has a purpose, a reason for happening, and and it might have something to do with my faith. But here's the story. I mean, I've been working on my book this year and and just trying to bust it and get that out there and publish it. And, and it just happened maybe two, three weeks ago, and it finally came about. And I was so excited and relieved. And I had been interested in this opportunity to speak at a local independently organized event, a TEDx event. And there was one in my, my hometown of uh, Boca Raton here. And so I had applied for it. And I really wanted to speak on the topics that really we've been covering, you know, how video games can empower real world success. And I had a little feedback. I had some good communication with the event organizer who was just amazing. Her name is Becky, and she's just phenomenal. But I had gotten a polite, no, not this year. And so that's when I really set to work on my book. And I had finished my book. And it wasn't two weeks out after completing and publishing that that I got the call. And it sounded something like this. Hey, I know this is last minute. TEDx is happening in nine days. But would you like to speak? Would you put something together? No pressure, right? Well, when you set about a goal, you know, this goes back to the grit and the persistence piece here. You know, part of being successful, it's a lot like, well, it's a lot like that quote from Bruce Banner in the first Avengers movie. You know, do you recall this? They asked him, what's your secret? You remember the line? I'm always angry. I mm-hmm. I'm always angry is what he said, you know? So that's this idea of always being ready. So at a moment's notice, Bruce Banner's ready just to uncap it and unleash this beast within. And so my secret was, is I had been preparing for this talk. I'd been reading the, you know, how to deliver a TEDx or a TED talk. And I'd been studying and I'd even written out outlines and drafts and, and various versions of this. And there's this whole idea that you know the opportunity is going to present itself. You need to be ready. And what's interesting upon reflection, if I had known that I was giving this TED talk, I never would have finished my book. I would have mm. backburnered that because I would have been so consumed and obsessing over the details of getting this just right and practicing it and memorizing it that I never would have had my attention free to write because when I received the Thanks but no thanks message, That's when I said, okay, I got to focus on the book. I'm going all in. And it's so amazing in how that all happened. And like I said, I, I don't believe in chance here. I don't believe this was coincidence because it just wouldn't have made sense any other way. I wouldn't have been ready if my book hadn't been published to give the talk because the book helped clarify my thoughts. And even if you don't ever intend on publishing a book, I think it's a great experience for anyone to sit down and go through the process of writing it because the clarity it gives you to what your thoughts are and where you want to go and and what matters to you is really invaluable. So that's kind of the background of how it happened. (laughs) And
1: there I am.
2: How did the talk go?
0: I think it went really well. I am so excited. Right now it's in the editing phase. So they have some cameras and sound and all that to edit within 30 days. So most likely by the end of April, this will be available on the official TED YouTube channel. And who knows? We'll see what happens from there because that's uh, that's a great channel to be a part of. And you never know how that's going to take off or catch fire or, or just fizzle. Who knows?
1: <laughs> you know, regardless of what happens there, just yeah. the story... Of how you've gotten to that point is an absolute miracle. Yeah. And it's, I think that should be very encouraging for anybody out there today who's thinking, you know, I'm feeling like I'm kind of caught in a pattern or I'm, I'm stuck in a rut. Hearing how, just in a short amount of time of not even two years, you've been able to pivot and see the exciting success of writing your book, being featured in Fast Company and Life Hackers, speaking at big events like SuperCon in Miami. And, you know, connecting with these big people like you're doing through your podcast. And then, of course, TEDx. My goodness, John, if you really (laughs) process all that. Wow. That's incredible. Well, but you see,
0: that's exactly the whole point is that I believe that we all have capacity to do things we can't imagine. But the trick is getting started. I mean, if you think about it, every video game. Well, not every, but so many video games that people play today. You're saving the world. You're accomplishing feats that are the things of movies and, and legend and story. And as a gamer, yeah, sure, it's not exactly the same. I, I can't really put on my resume that I, you know, stormed a castle and get some weird looks about it. But when you think about the decision making process, at some point you had to push start. You can't play a game if you don't push start and you're going to lose. You're going to fail. You're going to mess stuff up and you learn and then you apply what you've learned. And life is exactly the same. You know, you're never going to accomplish your goals or dreams, whatever those are, if you don't first press start, if you don't get up and start moving.
2: So, John, we're going to begin to wrap up here. Who is doing something that interests you?
0: Boy, that's such a tough question because there's so many amazing people out there. The one group of individuals I want to highlight that are doing something pretty cool right now is going to tend a bit more towards the gaming scene. There is a a group out there called 7-Bit Hero, and they're a group from Australia. They're from Brisbane, Australia. I've never been there, but, you know, seems like a cool place. I love their accents. And this group of musicians have created music that aligns with video games. And, And let me explain a bit. So when you go to their concert, you download an app on your mobile device, and behind the band, there's a screen and on the screen, there's a game that connects to everyone in the audience who brought a mobile device with them and turns it into one giant big video game that you're playing along with the bands providing the soundtrack. And, and it's really interesting because by the time you get to the end of a concert, you've had all these little games you've played with the band up there, you know, providing their music. And they actually sing a song celebrating whoever got the most points. And so if you, that's you, your name ends up in a song as kind of the closing act. And it's really just neat to see a group of people who are passionate and innovative in a way where they're taking something that's been done but done in different ways and combining it and making something new. And there are sometimes it works and there are sometimes it doesn't. But to see them be unapologetically dedicated to the ideals that they have is really inspirational. And I think all of us can look at that and say, okay, well, you know, that works for them, but but what's my own version of that? If I was to do something innovative that takes a bit of who I am. You know, because these guys are programmers and they happen to be musicians. I like writing. I teach about leadership development, but I also like video games. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. What is your own version of that? What can you combine and offer that's unique to you? You find that you're really on to something.
1: Man, I love that story. I think that is one of the most innovative things I've ever heard of. And I want to go to their concert, even though I don't know their music, just to experience that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Well, that's what YouTube's
1: for. (laughs)
2: Uh, yeah, true. Jared, I got to be honest. I'm glad he didn't say Jody Mayberry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not to say that Jody's not innovative because he absolutely is.
0: He's not on the line, is he? <laughs> no,
1: no. no he, uh, <laughs> we muted him. He wasn't allowed to ask any questions this interview. All right. So, John, what is the best place for people to connect with you online?
0: Yeah, thanks. Well, there is the website classicallytrained.net. That's kind of the home base, so you can catch the podcast, information about the book, interviews, videos, blog posts, all that is connected there. And the social media platform I find myself on the most is Twitter, and that my Twitter handle is at CT underscore blog. That's CT as in classically trained, underscore blog.
2: And John, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
0: Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I think I covered a lot of it in wrapping up. The importance of of getting up there and pursuing things. But you also have to remember that while every game has a beginning, every game also has an end. And there are times we reach the end of a video game and we say, you know, you know what, that wasn't very satisfying. You know, we the ending itself was a bit of a letdown. But then we reflect back and we realize it's been all about the journey to begin with. You know, in life, it's kind of the same. I mean, we all think about these great things we want to do. But it's important that as we're working towards our goals, our ambitions, our dreams, we have to remember to celebrate those little battles, you know, because as the title of the show is Starving the Doubts, that's something that you have to get up every day and take a stab at and have to deal with. In some cases, it's stronger than others. And it's those little experiences, those little wins that really add up to momentum. And momentum is what gives us that inspiration to roll right over the doubt. And to take on some of the biggest challenges that we never imagined possible, that's that sense of hope that we feel in every video game we play that if there's a challenge, I can win. Well, doubt is what takes us down in the real life. So when we can walk past that doubt, when we can circumvent it or we can face it head on and overcome it, we gain that hope that it can be done. And when you have hope, really, anything's possible.
1: Well said, John. Congrats again on TEDx, on the new book, Mastering the Game, What Video Games Can Teach Us About Success in Life, and just all the amazing stuff going on at classicallytrained.net. We love it, man. Thanks again, John. Thanks.
0: I tried to teach in principles, and that's when I hit on this idea that video games could be used to teach them. Because I started noticing patterns within video games, the habits you need to develop and practice within a game are the same sort of ideas we need to practice in the workplace or as an entrepreneur or as a leader of really any kind. So it occurred to me that these transcend the media in which they appear. So if it's a movie, if it's a book, and yes, even video games, if it's in these categories, we can learn and then we can apply in different contexts. So Absolutely. These ideas, even if you're not a gamer, they hold true.